So welcome, welcome to episode five of the Victory Podcast. And I am your host, Monique Watson. And in this episode, we'll talk a bit with two of my friends. One is a new friend. One's a friend I've known for quite some time. Uh, We'll start off with Carolyn talking a bit about her career. And she's the host of Beyond Six Seconds and talks about podcasting and a couple of other little stories as well. Um, And then we'll talk to Christine Alexis, who is a social media manager. Um, She'll talk a bit about that and getting into social media management and even her struggles as she's dealt with um, having a speech impediment. So stay tuned and thank you so much for listening. Good afternoon, good evening, good morning, depending on when you're listening to this. Welcome to the Victory Podcast. I'm your host, Monique Watson, and I have our special guest, Carolyn Keel. Is that how you say your last name? That's perfect. Okay, cool. I was just taking a guess, stab in the dark. So um, Carolyn is joining us from Beyond Six Seconds Podcast, and we found each other a bit on the Lady Pod Squad Facebook group, and I was looking for more guests, and she said, I would be, love to be on your podcast, and here she is. And she didn't she didn't stand me up, so here we are. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for inviting me. I'm really excited to be here. Woohoo! So um, just to give our listeners a little outline of what this podcast episode um, is going to structure around, we'll get a little bit of background of Carolyn, of herself, how she feels comfortable sharing, a little insight into how she got into the Beyond Six Seconds podcast, and any tips for other people who are interested in podcasting, um, some of her tips and tricks. And I brought my notebook because I'm an early newbie podcaster, so you've got some several episodes under your belt. And then um, she'll be sharing maybe a personal story and some her um, challenges that maybe she came across and how she was able to overcome and maybe some advice to others. And then we'll wrap up on how you can find Beyond Six Seconds podcasts on the social media and the websites and all the good things and bring it on home. So, Carolyn, Mm. tell us about yourself. Sure. So I am an employee training manager at a large fortune 500 company in New Jersey. That's my, uh, that's my full-time gig. That's my main uh, career there. Um, I grew up in Westchester County, New York, which is about, I'd say less than one hour North of New York city. So I, I grew up there, went to college in New York state, um, and then moved to New Jersey after I got married, which was, um, say just about 12 years ago. So that's where my husband and I are living today. Um, I studied psychology in college and in grad school, although there was quite a, a gap of time in between the two degrees. And um, other than that, um, besides training and, and podcasting, I'm also a musician. Uh, most recently, I have been an acapella singer uh, pretty much since my college days. Hey. And although I'm not, yeah, I know. And although I'm not currently singing, you know, I decided I'm going to try using my voice for a different type of project. And that's really what led me to start podcasting about two years ago. And um, that's sort of my the main thing that keeps me busy now is my um, outside of my job and family and and all other things in life is my podcast beyond six seconds. Awesome. That's really cool. Lots of um, lots of interesting bits there. Hmm. Um. Yeah, that's really cool. Um, so yeah, as I mentioned in the kind of outline, we met through the Lady Pod Squad podcast, no Facebook group, mm-hmm. and so it's a really good resource for those, especially ladies, ladies, yeah. um, who are interested in uh, getting into podcasting. A lot of good information and best practice sharing and tips and tricks in there. So maybe you can um, kind of what kind of led you down? Um, maybe a couple things. Um, maybe give our uh, listeners, uh, kind of overview of what your podcast is about, how you got into doing the podcasting side, and you mentioned using your voice in a different way, and uh, kind of especially the style of your podcast is, is um, in line and similar to this podcast, and kind of what led you down that path. Sure. So a little bit about my podcast. Um, it's called Beyond Six Seconds, and it's about the really extraordinary stories of everyday people who are overcoming challenges to achieve their goals, uh, shape their careers, and overall make the world a brighter and better place. So it's an interview style podcast. I interview a new person in each episode. Um, every My guests come from all walks of life, really. You know, they they have 
leadership qualities, but they could be anyone from community volunteers to solopreneurs to creative artists and musicians, and all the way up to, uh, you know, former Fortune 500 CEOs. And, you know, I've had a celebrity or two recently, which is pretty mm-hmm. exciting. So, um, you know, but really the common bond between all those stories is that I really try to provide a place on my podcast where people can feel that they can share their stories very candidly and just talk openly about the challenges that they've either faced to get to the success that they're currently having. Or in some cases, a lot of people are right you know, well, I guess we're all in the middle of our journeys, but some people are right in the middle of making that dream happen for themselves. So they just talk very realistically about what it's like. So it's a lot of the stuff that you don't see on social media. You know, we usually only see like the end product, the end success, and then it always looks easy to everyone else or, you know, or we just see sort of, I guess, negative stuff on the other end. But mm-hmm. um, this is just the real stuff. I, I really wanted to know what people were, were going through to, um, you know, to achieve their successes. Yeah. So um, in terms of how I got started or why I got started and the inspiration behind this was that, you know, I, as I mentioned, I had been an acapella singer for many years. Um, I wound up, you know, stopping that a couple of years ago for a variety of reasons. Um, Part of it was honestly the time commitment. I was uh, performing in New York City a lot. Um, I'm out in New Jersey. It was just with work and with everything else going on in in Mm -hmm. my life at that time. It just got difficult to make the time commitment. So I was kind of without a creative outlet for a while. And then I sort of got into podcasts, I would say in 20, probably like in 2017, before I started this one which I guess was I was kind of late to the game because I guess podcasts have been around since like 2004. I don't know. But I just sort of became aware of them about, you know, mm-hmm. right before I started this and thought they were an interesting way to learn information and hear from different voices and different types of people. And then I realized that, you know, when I was in the singing group, I used to do some audio recording and audio editing. So I already kind of knew a little bit about microphones and a little bit about editing software. And I thought, well, maybe I could translate that over and do podcasting instead of singing. So um, I'm like, well, what am I going to podcast about? So I, at the same time, had several friends, acquaintances through the uh, through a website called LinkedIn, which is social media, but it's like business to business career stuff. And people were sharing their stories online. But then I would talk to people. I would get to know them, message them, have conversations. And some people were really going through uh, amazing challenges and still doing this incredible work. And but no one was knowing about it because they weren't sharing like every single aspect of their lives on social media. And I said, you know, I know so many amazing people. It would be great to just like get them on a show and just let them tell their story. And I could maybe, you know, I could learn how to um, interview people better and improve my own skills and, and my, you know, how to shape that story together. So uh-huh. I just, I tried out, um, you know, asked a couple of friends from LinkedIn, like, Hey, could I interview you on my podcast? I'm going to start it out. It's kind of nice to start out with friends because I figured uh-huh. if I if I forgot to hit record or something, they wouldn't be mad at me or it's something. <laughs> it wouldn't be a big deal. So, yeah, so that, those episodes went really well. And then, you know, as I released episodes in my first year, I think that was the beginning of 2018, I just started getting um, interest from listeners who would refer new guests to me and other people asking to come on my platform and tell their stories. And, and some people were telling their stories like literally for the first time ever. They're like, you know, I really want to come on and just share this challenge that I never talk about with anyone and I want to come on your show. I'm like, wow, that's, that's, it's like a huge honor. So I I really try to honor what people are sharing with that. And then it just kind of, it's, it took off from there and I'm still doing it two years later. Wow. Yeah. That's really awesome. Um, yeah, similar ish as far as the style of this, this emerged. And I think, can't remember which if if any of the podcast I think I laid out on the first one kind of the structure and where it came from but yeah people I don't know I think I'm just really approachable and so sometimes really early on and almost scarily so people are like deluge information that there's like what they're working with working on or or problems they're having or deeply personal stories and I just felt like a lot of those like you said in social media you do definitely see one side or the other you see the success or you see kind of the thick of it but not the kind of the connection points along the way so definitely similar mind meld 
on on the podcast front. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, that's really cool. So what what advice would you have? So I think you, I mentioned I took a couple of notes while you were talking, just some of the asking your friends if you're getting started in the podcast space. Um, what other advice would you say? OK, so and so, you know, I'm Susie Q and I am thinking of starting a podcast. How do I get started? What are your tips? You're a year plus into it. Um, two years almost. Gosh, let's see. So I think probably the most fundamental tip I could give in terms of, you know, I hear from a lot of people who post on social media and a lot of the podcasting groups about people, you know, it, wanting to start a podcast, but maybe not knowing what they want to cover. Or I think really a lot of people have an idea but they're nervous about starting a podcast in that because, you know, somebody else is doing it or maybe it's not a good idea. So I I'm and maybe that's, um, you know, I tend to hear that more from women, honestly, that, than men mm -hmm. who are, are a little bit nervous about sharing their voices. Um, I would just say, you know, as someone who kind of jumped into it and, you know, because I, and I interviewing people, it's not like the most unique concept in the world. There are other interview podcasts, but you as an interviewer definitely bring your own personality, the way that you ask questions, the types of guests that you have on and the conversations you have with them. Those are different from any other podcast that um, that's out there. So in terms of really, if you want to start a podcast, I would just start with your why. And even as basis, like, why do you want a podcast? If, you know, do you have an idea that you're really passionate about and excited about or a particular cause or something that you feel almost called to do through podcasting and then kind of connect with that energy and whatever's driving you behind it? Um, that doesn't mean you have to have it all figured out. I mean, certainly you can change your mind, um, you know, as your goals change, as you try things out and maybe you don't like how something else is working, so you tweak it, and then you kind of learn what works for you along the way. But mm -hmm. I find it's always important to know what drives you because, I mean, I'm, I'm sure as you know, and, and anyone who is podcasting knows, like, it, it's hard work. It takes, mm -hmm. a, it takes more time than you'll realize going into it, and you need that connection to your drive and your why to keep you going through the times that are hard work, time consuming, maybe frustrating. You don't always hear feedback right away from people. And sometimes it's like, is anybody listening to what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. So it's really connecting with that so that you don't get too frustrated or overwhelmed. Um, you know, because it can, it can be, a, it can be a lot, but I think as long as you remember why you're doing it, um, I think that helps kind of balance things out and uh, and keep you focused as as a podcaster. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of a one basic thing. I could probably go on for a ton of time. I have so many tips like this. Just it, it's such a learning experience with podcasting. Mm -hmm. And I would say I know sometimes people worry about getting it exactly right and launching with the right concept and the perfect title and all this. But I've just mm -hmm. used it. You know, I, I just kind of picked a the title was like the last thing that I picked for my show um and I'm like I, I, this is just the one that's jumping out at me the beyond six seconds refers to like a study I had read online it was like a job related study that's the finding was that this you know recruiters only look at your resume for about six seconds before they make a judgment as far as what your skills are and what your story right. is do they move you forward so I just ran with that I don't even know how valid the study is but I thought beyond six seconds was a cool name so I decided mm -hmm. to but even with that, you know, just kind of, you know, do your best, get something out there and just get started. You can always use it to to learn new things, to make changes. And uh, don't worry. Don't uh, uh, the phrase like done is better than perfect kind of comes to mind. Like just sort of just get out there and start doing it. And, um, you know, nobody's perfect on the first try with podcasts, um, not even the professionals. So um, mm -hmm. I definitely encourage people to get out there. For sure. I concur. Yeah. yeah. And I think the biggest thing is um, as far as like from a really tactical perspective is is probably investing a little bit in a good in a decent microphone, because like if the audio quality is it doesn't have to be like fantastic, like we're professionals, but at least should be somewhat OK, especially for an interview style where both People, I know like my first episode, I used a different mic because I was traveling and it was a little bit easier to transport, but the quality was more, was the worse. And I was like, ah, never doing that again, invest in the time to get the better mic with me. So mm -hmm. that's like probably the biggest 
from a real tactical standpoint. But yeah, there's so many good tools for audio editing that don't require a lot of like, like I, my background is nothing with audio editing before really doing this podcast, but like the different free applications that exist and all that. So all kinds of good stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, totally agree with the microphone. Like the microphone that I have for my main podcast, it it cost me less than $100 and I've been using it, I've had it for two and a half years. So it's held up and it was totally worth the investment. So yeah, definitely mm-hmm. agree with that. So the next kind of bucket, and this is a little bit getting into the feels, maybe mm-hmm. depending on what you're going to say or share. Um, but on this podcast, like in similar to yours, they're sharing a, either a personal challenge or professional challenge or some mind meld con- convoluted connection of both of maybe something that was really challenging and kind of what you did or some things that you did personally or and or advice to others to kind of overcome a similar situation. Mm-hmm. Sure. So. I mean, I prob- the one that comes to mind for me is when I decided to make a career change into my current field of work, which is employee training, because mm-hmm. um, it, it actually did take a, a, a while to make that change. So, you know, basically, more or less right out of college, I started working at a, a very large company and you know, I, I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do with my life, but I, I started at a, you know, a, a relatively lower level and just sort of over the years started working my way up, like climbing the ladder, like everybody kind of says that you should do when you're building your career, you know, sort of like on paper, it was kind of the ideal thing that I felt like, you know, we were all supposed to do. Um, mm-hmm. And I got to like, you know, a relative. I would say a high ranking role. I got promoted several times into like still an individual contributor type of role. So I wasn't a manager type, but I was sort of high, you know, a couple levels up on that individual contributor role. Um, mm-hmm. And I moved teams a couple times. Um, and then what happened was after several years, I found myself in a role that, you know, was certainly the highest in rank that I achieved. On paper, it looked like I was doing great, that I had this like ideal career. But the role really was not a good fit for me. And I kind Mm. of found that out maybe within the first, you know, I kind of felt that early on after taking that first role. So within the first year of being in that role, I kind of knew like, you know, you know, the the work is fine, but I really want to decide to make a significant change. And through all my roles that I had been doing in the company, I had done a little bit of training with employees and a little bit of like employee communication. So writing, um, presentations, mm-hmm. um, you know, I- I- executive communications, things like that. So I took stock of what I like doing and about all my previous roles and said, well, you know, these two things, training and communications, I really like these. Um, so the other, again, trying to follow the conventional wisdom of the time was mm-hmm. that generally I had always heard that it was much easier to make a switch like that in your career by staying in your same company as opposed to trying to leave the company and then you go out and you're an unknown plus you're trying to do something completely new. And mm-hmm. I heard that, you know, no, really you should stay at the company and see if you can switch like that shouldn't be too hard. They know you, you know, you've always been a good performer. You've been promoted, of course, like how hard how hard could this possibly be? Famous well, last words. <laughs> Well, it was very hard. So, you know, I started to I started to apply to roles that were open and training communications. And, you know, I had some good conversations with hiring managers, recruiters, good interviews. You know, I got really close a a few times on a couple of roles. But honestly, after like, gosh, maybe. I brought to several roles. It's probably been like a year or two of of on and off applying. Like nothing had had come to fruition for that. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the same time, I was, you know, someone gave me advice to do like informational interviewing. So I was trying to meet people at the company to just, you know, not interview for a job, but like learn about different areas of the company. So you go right. meet someone, like, tell me about your role and um, what you do in your job and what's it like and what, you know, what kind of stills do you look for when you're hiring? So I yeah. started doing that. And I think because I'm a project manager at heart, I, I, like to track things. So I, I made this Excel spreadsheet and I would track <laughs> every row would be a new, like a new person or a new interaction just to kind of keep track of who I was meeting with. And again, after several months, uh, I lost after a hundred entries, I just started losing count. Oh so, Lord, you made it that far. My I goodness. Far, but you know, I really didn't, 
feel like I had anything to show for because I was having all these conversations that were going well, but not really getting any traction that I was looking at. Mm -hmm. So at that point, I really knew that I was pretty stuck. So, you know, I wasn't moving where I was. I felt like I couldn't stay where I was long term. But at the same time, I didn't feel like I had the experience to really find the role that I wanted outside of the company. Mm -hmm. So, you know, again, I, I tried some new things. I, I mentioned before that I'm very active on LinkedIn. It's where I found a lot of my friends. So around that time was really when I got I started getting active there. So, you know, obviously a lot of us have profiles there. A lot of people just sort of set it up, set it and forget it. But um, <laughs> but, but there's a lot of conversations that happen there. And it's not all just like people looking for jobs. It's, you know, people who are building consulting firms and a lot of employers are out there. So I started mm -hmm. getting active. I started connecting with training managers outside of my company just to learn about what they did and tried to connect into local companies. And, you know, I continued to volunteer at work anytime I could do anything related to communications or training. So I had little bits of my current role that were devoted to that, which I, I really enjoyed. Um, I also decided to start a grad school program. So I mentioned before that there was a huge gap in time between going to college and going to grad school. So mm -hmm. that was probably about a good 13 years. And, there you go. <laughs> and I always knew I wanted to go to grad school, but I'm like, I don't know what I want to do. I'm like, you know what? I think it's time. I think maybe a master's degree in some sort of psychology or, or learning field could potentially help me get the the experience that I need. So I started that while I was there. And I also decided to work with a personal coach um, because honestly, after several years of applying for jobs, having conversations, just trying to network, and I'm a very shy person, like seriously, the last uh, people, I, the last thing I want to do is cold call strangers and try to sell myself and pitch my Hello, you've never so, met me or seen me before in life, but let me tell you about myself. Let me tell you what I want from you, person that I just met. It's like, that's what it felt like. It's like, oh, yeah. gosh, the worst. So after, you know, it kind of wears on you. And when you, mm -hmm. you face that much rejection, sometimes it's starts to get in your head. So at that point, it's like, you know what, I just need to work with a coach who can help me sort out what I want to do, remind me what my strengths are, because honestly, by that time, it's been several years of this, and I was starting to forget. Sure, like, yeah. yeah, I was like going right down the slide. So and you know, she she was great. She helped me do some, you know, inventories of strengths and and kind of aligning what I wanted to do. And we even did a visualization exercise of what would your ideal job look like, like literally everything from like, you know, you're leaving your house, like, you know, you drive, you drive in your car, what direction do you turn in? What is the drive, like literally that level of detail all the way to mm. what does the office look like? I'm like, okay, I guess, okay, sure, that's fine. Um, but we did a whole bunch of exercises around that, which actually wound up being very helpful towards the end. And I can circle back with that one in just a minute. But, um, you know, it wound up being I was doing all these different things. And then, you know, one day, I was told at work that my role that I was in, the one that wasn't as great a fit, was going to be changing very significantly, but in a direction that was completely away from where I was going. So they were taking it into more of like an analyst type of path and sort of so like all the training I've been doing, the communications, they're like, we're taking that out of your role. Like literally, we're going to we really need a more you know, something different. And they said, yeah. you know, you're good at the role. You can stay here. But we know that basically I had been vocal about looking for something else. So they knew that I was looking. So they're like, you know, you can stay or, you know, you can you can leave and go on. And, uh, and um, you know, they did. They took care of me. So it wasn't quite like that. But, you know, we want you to stay. But we understand that, you know, you're, yeah. you're really looking for something else. So against all conventional wisdom to like never leave your job without another job immediately lined up, I did mm -hmm. make the decision to leave, um, which was very scary. It was, I'd never done anything like that. I had always been employed from getting right out of college and it had been, you know, many years at that point. Um, you know, but I still continued to work there for a couple of weeks to just wrap things up. So while I was there, very interestingly, while I was still working there, I wound up getting a call from an external recruiter for a contract role at another company that was like 10 minutes from my house that was exclusively in employee training, which was like exactly what I wanted to do. Right. So 
and I wound up interviewing. I got that role. And then basically I was back at work with like almost no gap between the time that I left my previous company and then starting it with this new one. So it just seems like a very odd coincidence. Like I, I can't say that that would happen for everyone with the, the perfect timing, but I really feel like the, you know, all the, it's like almost all the the hard work and the frustration and the the challenges that I had gone through for several years, just trying to get myself ready and put myself out there and just, you know, get ready for this role. It just happened at the perfect time. And then just to circle back for that visualization exercise I was telling you about that my coach had me do, mm-hmm. like literally what I had visualized was what I got like literally from the direction I turned out of my street to drive there to like what the team was like what the office looked like I'm like okay this is really freaky so somehow I somehow I actually that's like one of the first times that I actively like I think manifested something in my life by thinking about it but um yeah so that that worked out so what I would advise to others is you know, I, I was st- I was really stuck for a long time and I would just, you know, and, and it's it is challenging if for a long time it, it kind of wears mm-hmm. on. You. So but I would just encourage people to one, you know, always network. It's, you know, job searching. It's a combination of what you know and who you know, but also who knows you and what you can do. And that's a big piece of networking as well, is that there are a lot of conversations that take place when you're not in the room um, about, you know, people looking for, you know, who's be good for this role or who can I hire to take care of this? Um, And if you've had those conversations and shown the great work that you can do, um, people are more likely to, to think of you when they when they have a need. Um, know, I also know what your value proposition is, know what you bring uniquely to the table, what your strengths are, what interests you. And then one thing that I wish I had done then, but I do it now, certainly with podcasting is I think it's always a good idea to create content that showcases what you can do, what your strengths are. So obviously podcasting is something I started doing, but I know a lot of people who write even Again, on LinkedIn, a lot of people will write about um, their areas of expertise. They'll write articles, they'll post videos, um, just any kind of content that you're comfortable with that really showcases who you are and what you can do. And and again, it doesn't always it doesn't have to be perfect from the start. But I feel like the more you get yourself out there, the more the more of that trail of content is out there. It makes you easier to find for people who Mm -hmm. are really looking for for what you can do. Awesome. That's some good tips. I, I was listening and writing notes. So um, always handy. Perfect. So how how that, that makes me think of some follow up questions. So the grad school piece, how was that like going back to school with that large gap? Did you feel like you kind of were quick to adjust back to kind of student life and the student mindset or or um, yeah. thoughts? I was a little worried that I wouldn't be able to like do school anymore because it had been so long that I was mm-hmm. away. But, but I, I always liked school. I was always, you know, kind of good at like, you know, reading enormous amounts of material and writing papers and things like that. So I kind of slid right back into it. Um, and it was a really great program. It was designed especially for working professionals. So nice. we had some FaceTime, like every other Saturday, we had um, FaceTime in class on campus, which was, um, you know, like less than an hour from my house. So like oh, early nice. Saturday morning, it's no problem to drive down. There's no traffic. And, you know, you get to meet with people. Plus, we also worked online with each other through, I think it's called Blackboard, but they have, you know, all, oh, all this yeah, technology yeah. that they didn't have when I went to college <laughs> is now it's like, oh, it's so different now. So we had a whole online component as well in terms of completing assignments and having more class discussions there as well. So it was a really nice blend of online and offline. And I met a really great lot of people through there as well. And I actually continued the program while I was in my new role as well. So, nice. um, you know, I kind of continued through that and, you know, it was a great support. And um, when I'm talking about two years to graduate and um, yeah, so now I have my master's, which is, uh, it's been really nice. It's been helpful. Woo-hoo. Yeah, that's handy. Yeah, my, um, so my husband's father is a psychologist as well. And so sometimes we hear entertaining stories about his graduate students. Um, 
good, bad, or indifferent. Some most are usually fine, but sometimes you get some funny, like um, usually younger graduate students that are like you know straight from undergrad into grad school and yeah. kind of have that I, something about a returning student. Often, I mean, there's a balance, right? Of any, you, you kind of get everybody that runs the gamut, but just seems like the younger ones, quote unquote, has a different mindset and their approach to school. Versus people who are returning and they're like, look, I have a full time job or I'm trying to do this and do school. I'm really focused and a little bit. It's just um, always interesting stories. Yeah. Plus, you have a, plus you have a different wealth of experience. So obviously mm-hmm. if you've been out in the workforce, even if it's just a couple of years, you you can go back to your job and apply what you learn in class or you can bring your past experiences to class discussions and apply things. But, yeah, when you're straight out of school, you don't really have. You just don't have that experience yet because you've yeah. always been in school. So I think it's probably more theoretical and, uh, and you know, that style of learning, I would think. For sure. For sure. Um, yeah, those are that's really good advice. I know that a lot of people go through either by choice or by force um, career changes. Right. Or um, changes in your career, whether you want to change them or you're forced into it by layoffs or what have you. Um, kind of a little bit of a combo of yours, a little bit of, hey, we're going to change this role and you want to do something a bit different. That's, I think, some really good advice. So the big buckets I took from that, so the networking piece, so stay connected in your networking, both online and offline, um, making sure you're well aware of what your strengths are and, and also to put any kinds of... Um, items out there that'll show what you're able to do and your capabilities to kind of validate that beyond just maybe like a everyone has a resume and writes a few good bullet points which is always good and have somebody who's good at those but I think even especially actual especially in the kind of communication training space actual product or whatever that you've created examples for so they can show you can actually show what you can do so yeah absolutely yeah. yeah that's perfect yeah yeah this was fun. I like this interview. This is oh, going to be great. Oh, good. Well, thank you. Yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad I was able to share some helpful advice. I know we covered a whole bunch of different topics. For sure. This was good. Um, I think those are the big buckets. Um, so let's tell the folks how they can find your podcast, um, your social media. If you have one, either if you want to connect personally, that's fine, too. But if you want whatever social media pieces you want to share and that way folks can find you and I'll put it in the show notes as well. Okay, perfect. So let's see. So most of the, probably the best place you can find me is on my website. That's at www.beyond6seconds.com. Um, you can find all of my episodes there. Um, you know, if you use another podcast player like, you know, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, um, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, you can find all my episodes there as well, pretty much anywhere you get your podcasts. Um, if you're uh, a fan of Instagram, I try to be active on there as well. My handle is at beyond six seconds. And um, I know we were talking about podcasting tips before. So if you go to my website, there's a link towards the top that will let you sign up for my free email newsletter, which I'm starting at the beginning of 2020. And if you sign up, you'll get a link right away to my uh, checklist that's uh, free. And it is a checklist for how to get started with podcasting. So it has some more sort of technical recommendations based on my experience. So free gift for signing up for the newsletter if you're if you're interested in doing that. Woo-hoo. I will be signing up. Yeah. I know for sure. That'll awesome. be good. So I'll go in there. Awesome. Thank you. Well, thanks so much, Carolyn, for joining me. And I don't want to hold you up anymore. It is in the evening. You're you're on the East Coast. So it's, what is that, six, seven, eight. Ooh. If I were where you are, it would be nearly my bedtime. Because <laughs> um, I get for, up really early. It's been dark for like four hours because it's winter. So it's just. Yes. It always throws me. It's dark here and it's only 540 Pacific uh-huh. time. Yeah. And I'm like, I always look like, oh, it's got to be bedtime. Clip. No, it's five o'clock. Like, I'm like, is it midnight? It's like, no, it's, it's, it, yeah, it's five o'clock. Exactly. Like, no, I have to stay up. Can't go like, to bed. No, I stay. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you want to go to sleep and get those extra hours in, especially I get up so early. Yeah. Get up at four most mornings. Yay. Oh mm-hmm. Yeah. Par for the course. So it's all good. Well, I'm going to go ahead and hit the thanks, Carolyn, for for joining us on 
Thank you and uh, have a good evening. I'm going to hit stop recording. Perfect. Thank you. Yay. Bye. So, yes, that was Carolyn. And now we'll listen to a little bit from Christina Alexis, who's a social media manager and talking about getting into marketing, social media, all of that, and then how she's overcome that and uh, her speech impediment, as well as a couple little fun tidbits. Stay tuned and thanks for listening. So welcome to the Victory Podcast. I am your host, Monique Watson, and I have the great, grand, wonderful pleasure to have uh, interviewing with me today is Christine Alexis. Um, Hi, Christine. Hi, Monique. Thanks for having me. Oh, of course. I'm so excited that you agreed. Yay, more people agreeing to be podcasted and actually get on the schedule. Um, So it's always challenging. People are like, yeah, I'll be on. What day do you want to do? Radio silence. So um, thank you for agreeing. So maybe you can give a bit, um, just as for for the listeners, kind of a template of where we're going with this interview. So Christina will give a little background about herself, maybe a little bit about how we know each other. And then we'll talk about her career and kind of that career path. And she'll give her a little bit of advice for folks maybe looking to get into a similar field or um, that specific field. And then we'll close out with any advice or social media contacts. That's perfect. So, Christine, tell us, tell the people how you know me and my fabulousness, (laughs) how you know and uh, how we know each other a little bit about yourself. Yeah. So um, I'm actually, well, I've known you since childhood literally um <laughs> I actually am good friends with her sister so we grew up together and I saw you at Earthline everything like that and yeah so we kind of go way back way back we're not that old but it's been some time has passed right <laughs> so let's see y'all had your tenure this year right your tenure reunion should be last year just don't remind me but yes it was last year because yeah, your class of 08 yeah I, I always think oh that's what it is my husband is 09 from Stamog. Yeah, so known Christine for a number of years, seen the little baby grow up, She's become a lovely long lady, a wonderful, wonderful young woman now. And so, so <laughs> tell us a little bit about, you know, maybe the people don't know, and kind of, I've introduced myself on this podcast, but a little bit about yourself, like where you grew up, and maybe a little background there, kind of your journey to get from maybe not birth, but early life, maybe college, different career, job things kind of take us on that journey. Yeah. So I am from um, New Orleans, born and raised. Um, I went to Erskine Academy for high school and then I went to Loyola for college. I, um, I studied marketing and I minored in Spanish. I always loved learning about other cultures and stuff like that. So um I was fortunate enough to study abroad twice, um, once in Costa Rica and another time in Peru. Um, yeah, it was fun. I mean, I had altitude sickness, but that's another story for another day. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, so after that, um, I worked at the New Orleans Chamber of Commerce and their marketing, and I decided um, to go to grad school at that point. So I moved to Miami, and I got my MBA from the, the University of Miami in marketing and finance. And I began working at the Miami Chamber of Commerce um, in museum. And then currently I work at DB Shanker. It's a global um, supply chain company. And I'm their social media manager where I manage the content for 24 countries and three different languages. I do not speak three languages. I just work with people <laughs> very talented. And um, yeah, so it's kind of like what I do. Um, I'm fortunate enough that they let me travel a lot. I've gotten to interview like foreign diplomats and um stuff like that so it's just it's been a really cool job and I really enjoyed it so yeah that's really cool yeah I've seen so you and I are friends both in real life and on LinkedIn um and so like I'll see stuff I was like oh my god Christine is like always places and interviewing she looks she's so grown up I just think of you the little Ursuline girl running around school and campus stuff and wearing your little uniform I'm like no but she's a real adult now same thing I think of my sister as 12 years old in my mind forever, but she's a grown up. 
I feel like I'm 21 or something. I really don't feel like I'm turning 30. So you know, oh, I know. It's one of those things. Like, I had this conversation, and this is a bit of a tangent, but whatever. Um, I had this conversation with someone. It's like, I don't feel, I don't know what I thought that this age would feel like or that I would have done or accomplished at, you know, it as a, like, high school age. You know, like, oh, by 25, I'll do this. I'll be done having all my kids. Married, right. done, <laughs> bing, bam, boom. I'm just living life. And you're like, who I was at 25? No, not ready to be a parent, not not looking at that, not even who I was dating at the time, even to think, okay, would I have that kids with that person? No, no, hard no, hard pass. So yeah, it's just interesting the things you plan for your life at a young age. Some things are good, like the plan and to have like the, if you want to go to like an advanced degree, medical school, law school, thinking those things and kind of having that plan, and if that you still want it, then continue to do that. But certain things, like especially personal life, you're like, I had this image of what I would do at a certain age, and then I'm like, it was different, but it's actually still good. Like I'm good with where I'm at. Yeah. 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 For sure. For sure. Yeah. So you mentioned you went to grad school and getting into kind of this marketing space. So how? Maybe if I'm, I'm, you know, Susie Q and I really like marketing as an idea and the kind of maybe some of the the differences of how getting into social media marketing, how is it different? And if I'm interested in really on that side, because maybe I'm really into social media, want to transfer that into a career in a sense. Um, what are some tips or tricks you would say or advice you would give to Susie Q who's looking into that? Um, so social media, there's, I want to say there's multiple areas, but there's like when, when people think of social media, they're like, oh my goodness, it's, it's like this like sexy career. Like, you know, like we're like, like, you know, like working with like in- influencers and stuff like that, which is true. You do do like the fun side of things, but what people don't know is that like, you have to manage a budget. You have to know the data side. I have to tell people like, hey, this is where your money is going. And this is what I've done for you for like with this amount of money and stuff. So for social media, I would recommend if you have like a friend who wants to be like this like Instagram influencer or your podcast even or something like that. If somebody wants to help you out, it will mm-hmm. be good portfolio because you need like a body of work for sure, but you also need to show a return. Like how how am I producing for somebody? And do you think or have you come across so you went to school for marketing both in undergrad and then a focus on that with your masters? Do you think or have you run across people in your career space that are doing marketing, but maybe they started somewhere else along that journey and kind of anything Absolutely. advice with that? Yeah. So my boss, actually, she majored in international business. So it was a different path, but it kind of led her to the same area. Um, for business degrees, it's like one of the beauties of majoring in, in business is that you can kind of switch and move around and stuff. Like I have a degree in finance and marketing. So realistically, if I wanted to pivot or anything like that I could um it just it really just depends but I would definitely look into that also for social media in particular um as I mentioned I've done like interviews with diplomats and stuff like that I don't have formal media training um so a lot of people now are doing broadcast journalism and switching to social media because they want you to have a camera presence and stuff so Mm -hmm. I have come from the PR side the comm side and kind of move over it just depends Cool. I feel like I was rambling. (laughs) No, no. I think it's good. So for the podcast, I'd rather have a lot of content and then splice and dice and can edit back. So if you feel like you're rambling, that's fine. My goal as the interviewer, and it may be different versus the diplomat, you're kind of focused and keeping it brief on your questions and allowing them to be the one. But as as being now the flip side, right, you're the you're the one being interviewed. You're like, wait, my mind is like the interviewer, is I'd rather, from a podcast perspective, have a lot of content to go through um, so that we can edit out, you know, those kind of flubs or whatever makes sense. And then and then because you're editing it versus more live is more succinct and right. and thought process out. So since there's editing, we fix it in, like as they say, fix it in post. It's fine. Um, so, yeah. Um and maybe we can talk about this. You can tell me if you don't feel comfortable talking about it. And I don't think I really, whether I included this on the outline, but another phase of the podcast. So we talk about career stuff, but the idea of the victory podcast is people who have overcome 
something, whether that's career changes, either advancements just in their career and kind of how they got to where they were, or personal things, whether it be I've in the first episode of episode first half of episode four that I just released, where I talked about my Katrina story and included tips and tricks about emergency response. Um, I wasn't sure if there was something for you either as a New Orleans native that you want to talk about maybe your Katrina story or some other kind of maybe on the personal side of something that you went through, whether that be we've talked about grief on different episodes. So they run the gamut as far as examples in previous episodes that maybe that's something a little bit more personal that you've gone through and tips and advice that help you through that process. And now that you're on the other side, things you would tell yourself in that process. Yeah, so I mean, I'm sure you know this, but for me, with growing up, um, I actually have a speech um, in, impediment. I've been in speech, I did not know this. Yeah, I've been in speech therapy pretty much my entire life, from the age of four through high school. So working in media, it, it gets, it's kind of, it's scary at times for me, but something I had to definitely work on because I wanted a career like this. So having to, like, speak at press conferences, and then, like, they put me on the spot sometimes, I'll have to speak in Spanish, where I, like, I really stumbled at that point or something like that. So for me, that was kind of, for my career at least, that's like one of the biggest, I guess, obstacles I've had to overcome. So I don't think I overcame it, but it's like a work in progress. But Yeah, so I think maybe, yeah, that's a good point. So what was it like earlier in your life with struggling with a speech impediment? What are some, remember, maybe some memories you have of like situations that were maybe a particularly challenging that you can just like, oh, I remember when I was in X class and this happened and it really was frustrating. And then one of the things that I either, maybe something you remembered from your speech therapist or something like tips and tricks in that space, maybe. Yeah, um, I don't know about early in life. I know for sure like one major thing was in grad school, they have a rule that like you cannot get a C. Like if you get a C, you have to go to like this council and like, like, like what's what I'm looking for? Like, um. It's like kind of, yeah, it's a, it's a bit like a C is an F in grad school, it's like an basically. Yeah. Well, one of our classes was speech class. And it wasn't like a regular speech class like you take in high school or something. It's like, no, there's cameras looking at you. The entire class is grading you. Like, and this is for like a semester long. And you have to give these speeches, not for like a two minute speech, but like a 15 minute speech in depth about like the, the weirdest stuff. So um, for me, for grad school, I remember I had to give a speech and I did, I'll usually do pretty well if I don't, if I don't memorize it, but I, I had to memorize this one. It was like a 20 minute speech and I completely like blinked. And it wasn't because I blinked, it's because I knew I was going to start stuttering. Mm. For me, it was something like, oh my God, like I thought like I at least didn't overcome it, but I thought that I got better at it or I would not be in this predicament. And I was like, oh my God, like I'm going to fail this speech. I'm not going to, you know, I'm going to have to go to this board and like, you know, petition it basically and stuff like that. And I literally, I got, I, I failed the speech. I got an F and um, my grade was like a B something. And then I went back and like redid the entire speech for the class because it was just something that regardless of if my grade were going to change or not, it was something that I wanted to prove to myself that I could do. But um, for me, that was something that was like, I, I never knew that would still impact me to this level. Yeah. It's interesting you mentioned it, and, and as you were talking, I was thinking also, listening to what you're saying, and then I and I remembered, and I'll maybe put a link to this article. Um, there's been a lot with the president, you know, presidential races going on, and uh, Joe Biden has talked a lot about his his history with speech impediment, right? Mm-hmm. And there was an article written by I think it was I want to say New York Times or Washington Post, one of those like nationally news things. And it was a person who also has a speech impediment. And it was written in an interesting way talking about a lot of the what have been associated with either age or whatever these pauses that Joe will say or word flubs or those kind of moments can possibly be kind of linked back to still coping with I mean, because you don't, as you said, even grad school is X number of years since, you know, birth, right? And you have a speech impediment, you kind of manage it, you learn skills and tools and tips and tricks to help cope with that. And especially in non-practice situations where you don't have time to like practice the the responses or the thoughts or whatever. Um, 
and just it was an interesting article about that relative to some of his performances in a debate setting and these kind of pauses and I think it was some of the writer especially also suffers from a speech impediment um and their dynamic on that I don't know if you saw that article at all I'll have to read it I mean I do have coping mechanisms for sure like I have to I'll, I'll think of synonyms if I can't pronounce the word like at that moment I'll quickly think of like another word to say it but then for that particular incident I just I completely blame mm-hmm mm-hmm yeah so, I'll send you that just in, yeah. in, in FYI I thought it was interesting I personally have not personally had any speech impediments things I actually probably talk too much but that's fine and have no problem with being put on the fly and but I understand that that can be a challenge for people even if you don't have a speech impediment just people's comfort with responding thinking processing and responding in a way that's coherent and makes sense for other people is a challenge um and it was actually something that came up during I'm working on training for an unconscious bias workshop that I'll be co-hosting on Friday yay fun um (laughs) no it'll be good but um that was something around biases, around how people even learn. If you think about some people learn and really need to process the information, take it in, digest it. And so allowing to send out like pre-read to a meeting. So like how I sent you an outline, yeah. I realize like things like that. So you can think about how I'm going to respond, the mind meld of what information so that when they do respond, their their questions or replies are more thoughtful or can be at least we've given them that opportunity to have the information beforehand so i've been more aware after going through this unconscious bias workshop and prepping to give it myself of those kind of things um as well yeah i mean it's definitely interesting um for me one of our new c-suite executives actually has a stutter and he was saying it was something he struggled with his entire life. And it was very interesting to me that he is this far along. Like it was kind of inspirational to me, I guess, that mm-hmm. he came this far. He is doing like national media interviews and everything like that. So it's just, it's interesting to see how people progress in the, the line of work that they're in. Like my, my mom always tells me, I, I cannot believe that this is the career path you chose. <laughs> because it's like what you've been through with everything. Like this is where you're going with it. But um. Yeah, I think it's I think it's important and really actually inspiring, Christine, because honestly, and as we shared earlier, I've known you for a long period of time. It's not I mean, that's well, you know, at the high school level, which is X number, you said since four to for a long period of time of having a speech therapist. So I never noticed. But that is I mean, doesn't mean you still struggle with it. And it's very inspiring to say that not only, okay, you're going to from a practical everyday life perspective to say, okay, I've now managed this speech impediment for it to be conversationally comfortable and all those kind of things. But then to take it to the steroided version, like you said, in your career path, right? So now you're not only just talking to people in a meeting because you do X, Y, and Z and marketing, because you could have easily stepped into the space of print marketing, right? So you do print marketing, you kind of stay at a computer, do some graphic design, work with graphic designers, print, digital, kind of in that space away from cameras and people and interviewing and conversations, right? But you instead said, no, I'm good. Let's go, let's do the camera side and interviewing in this case, now you're moving to diplomats, which there's the language piece, right? Another non-native language plus the speech impediment plus sometimes responding to maybe their back questions, even though you're the plus side is you're the interviewer, so you kind of can set the tone and plan of where you want to take the interview. Um, but yeah, that's interesting slash inspiring. That's really cool, actually. Rockstar Christine. Now this I'm going to ask you, and I didn't include it, but it just came to my mind. And I wanted to ask someone else because my sister and I had a discussion. I don't know if you saw, so we, as for the listeners, we, we attended the same high school all girls Catholic school, different class mascots. And you may know where I'm going with this yeah. on because Nicole and I had different opinions, but sort of came to the same conclusion. Ultimately thoughts on. So we had a class mascot. And so Christine and I had the same. It's a road, a quick 
30-second version of yeah. rotating class. Yeah, it's kind of, you have to explain it, set it up, and then get into it. So rotating class names that a senior class passes that class name down to the freshman class, and they take on that name when they become sophomores. It's been going on for decades. They've had this, the name that we share, the Sioux, named after the Sioux Indian, Sioux Indians or Native Americans or Indigenous people, whatever category we're going to go with, um, for several years, several decades, probably since 50s if not further back. Um, and recently they've taken um, where they're going to change and retire the Sioux name, just given the political implications of um, using indigenous people cultures as a mascot and an ideal, which I get. And I would be curious and take your time to ponder and think, because I can always edit the long pause if you need time to process um, on your thoughts on that. And kind of, I don't know if they came out with the next name of what the new name is yet that I've seen. They told me, but I forgot. I want to ask the boy. Oh, it's the Phoenix. Oh, yeah, I did see that. I was like, cool, because then you can keep the red. That was my first thought about that. So what are your thoughts on, one, them changing the name? Um, and then the second part of that question being their thought and the implications of that because there was a mixed and i'm sure you saw some of the social media response from our fellow alumni on that announcement from the from the school and then what do you think the new name would be the other side i was very conflicted um i actually discussed this with other people we we, we were in this group chat with like nicole and everybody talking about it and stuff i just feel (laughs) like it was long overdue i feel like it probably was offensive a long time ago and what took you guys so long but then I also feel like what prompted you? Because you didn't think of this on your own. Did somebody like push you to do this? Where was there some a situation where it was brought to your attention from a donor or something like that? Like how how mm-hmm. was this issue like brought up? So I do agree that it should be removed, but I feel like we should not have been at the school when that was happening in the first place. I concur. Yeah, and I was I one last thing. I got very offended. I was extremely offended um they asked a classmate of ours to speak on it and mm-hmm. and she said that we took native american history classes regarding the Sioux, like we learned about it and everything like that and for me i mean i don't know if i missed school for <laughs> or where i was but i never learned about that culture so it wasn't as if it were taught to us in a, in a way that we should learn about it and understand it and you know pay homage to it it was more like this is a mascot it's kind of like the redskins so it's kind of like i don't see them being genuine with it um yeah long for due i don't know i i honestly forgot how nicole felt about it but (laughs) she was a little bit like okay but what are we i think we had us i have to go back and look at my text because i think probably in the same like first response that she sent to me was like, did you see it? And I was like, I don't read my email that heavily. And then I read it and I was like, I get it. Um, my, I agree to your point of what took so long. This is not new. Um, Nicole's points, some of her points were around, um, we did have the Sioux prayer that we thought was pretty non-offensive, yes. right? It was, there was a Sioux prayer. There was a thing. So there, I think there was attempts to kind of, make that connection and I think um one of our teachers I won't say his name for the lack of I haven't had the conversation to screen that he should be on here did try and infuse indigenous people the Sioux history into their history lesson so maybe that's where that point was um but no we didn't have a special class where I think it's one of those things that I feel Yes, it it can be seen as offensive because if you go back and we won't get into the nitty gritty of it all, but some of the cheers, if you look back and you put the print out the lyrics and some of the dance moves, I'm like, I could see instantly just visually, not with the intent. I think the intent was never to be offensive. Right. Versus the red skin. The actual intent of the word is even like offensive in itself. Right. So the suit, it kind of fell in this spectrum of. There is straight up offensive, like use of the N-word with a hard R. Right. And then there's, I didn't know I was culturally appropriating something. There's kind of in this spectrum. And in between is, in the middle is, it is offensive because we didn't show it the proper respect, cultural uh, recognition and all that 
that is due, but I can see why people have a love just because of change is hard for people and a love for a name. So yeah, they did. There was many a people. I don't know if you saw some of the stuff from my class. Woo. Some folks felt very passionate. I took pride in in what we represented for that. Like what our class represented, but I understand why, but yes, that should have been handled a long time ago. Honestly, I, I concur. And, and I think there is, is a problem. How come the Sioux? How come they didn't choose a, a, a tribe that was native to Louisiana? Why that didn't was they was my thing. Like, why weren't we the Homa? Right. Because like, that's the most popular, as far as off the top of my head, indigenous um, people for Louisiana. Yeah, I don't know. It, it just didn't make sense to me. But, um, I mean, it's sad that it's gone. The Phoenix name, I feel like the girls could have probably done a little better with it. But um, I don't know. I'll take Phoenix because, so this was where I thought it sticks and it fits. And I'd be interested to see what the new cheers happen to be and all that side of it. Um, It's not perfect, but since we already have the little sister name of the Red Feathers, it fits, dovetails well into that. But it just makes me wonder why all of a sudden? Oh, there's my guess, and this is, I do not speak for the for the school institution or any way, as I express my next opinion, somebody threatened some money. Yeah, I'm Somebody sure. brought it to their attention, whether, and I think it was probably has been brought up, but it was, if it's just a parent saying whatever, then there's right. some level of like, okay, then sure, fine. And then I think, and then I think we now have had a couple new presidents. So there's right. a bit of that, of new, new blood, new fresh eyes that may be, and awareness. And then I think in the growing years that have happened over the last, I'd say over the last like five years, the increase in social media response presence and repercussions for brands in general, let alone a school, right. I think now changes that dynamic. I mean, I'll tell you, their social media presence is very nice. I, I follow them. I'm like, oh, the girls. I do. They've stepped it up. They a great job. <laughs> yeah. I, who does theirs? Do you know? I have no idea. It's good. I like it. I follow them on on the gram. <laughs> um, yeah, I th- that's what I agree. There's definitely a prompting behavior. It doesn't just out of the goodness of our. I mean, maybe some level of that. Maybe it was a an awareness. Someone brought it up, and it was an aha to say, okay, this is the time. Um, and I sent, and I think because that class is coming up on graduating, I think the senior class or junior going into senior class, it's a time to do it because this is the time to make that change. Um. And it's not a new, and people who are very upset about it, the arguments I saw online from people whose names I shall not mention because they have not given their consent to participate in the podcast were like, oh, it wasn't disrespectful. That wasn't our intent. That's, that's wrong. We have such a proud history. We respect it. I was like, and I get that. I was like, but just like with anything else, if you look over the spectrum of time, things that were offensive, were not offensive that have, we've we grow, we learn, we change and realize and have the epiphany for whatever reasons that they are now offensive and we should change. Right. They That's used to have the name, class name. I don't know if it was ours, old class or whatever. The Rebels was a name for that. one of the classes. Okay. Yeah, back yeah. in the day. And that changed yeah. at some point. We can phase that out. But, I mean, if it were that big of a deal, then why not just go to the Sioux Tribe, explain what you've done, explain the history classes that you claim we t- were taught and ask them for, for permission if we're doing it as a way to honor that particular culture or that group. Yeah, I would think that we would run into some challenges with the actual content of some of the things to be fully but, considered. But I mean, I'm just playing devil's advocate here. Oh, if 100%. This thing that's not offensive, then why don't you go straight to the source? Exactly. I don't think it's worth their time like not worth their time great to establish a relationship from indigenous people and whatever but i think it's no nah, you really don't have a you don't have both legs to stand on no of course but think about if they did forge this like bond with them they could do their service trips the sioux class could go to the sioux reservation and do service over there or do something where you know mm-hmm. they could learn more yeah and this and that was the argument that on social media started in the comment section on stuff was people's commentable. What about like Florida state and the Seminoles? I was like, well, 
and there is articles and I put it up in the thing and I'll probably add it to this um, episode is that the Seminoles, Florida state and Seminole tribes have a relationship. They have established, like you've said of like on now what the deep, dive into it the florida state had a whole article i read through some of it but they have an established relationship so the use of the seminal tribe and their first of all they don't have like a person it's a it's an arrow or something like that that's their like imagery so it's not right. that way offensive um so yeah those that establishment in that same vein has been done so correct i mean i'm just saying as somebody living in florida i think i know more about the seminal tribe than the sioux tribe which should say something Correct. As not as a non-native right. Floridian, you're a transplant and temporarily located. Yeah, exactly. So they could have done the Sioux or they could have done the Homa or whatever. Um, but they landed on Phoenix. Okay, cool. Yeah. They'll find some fun as long as they keep. They need to start winning again. That's what we need to talk about. That's the real deal. But um, okay. So I think we've covered a lot, a little more than what we outlined, but that's okay. And I'll probably keep in the Sioux stuff because I think it's topical because it comes up in other um, different cultural appropriations. And there's a lot of institutions across different sports that have changed their mascot. One that has not and still remains and is probably the most visible is the Redskins. Right. They said they're not changing it. Uh, IDK. Not my, um, not my team, not a team I support, even being born in Virginia, to each their own. People still buying the ticket, so we'll see. One day, maybe. Probably not. All right. Well, Christine, this has been fun to catch up. Yeah, thanks for having me. I hope awesome. I, was, I hope it wasn't too boring. But <laughs> No, it was really good. You had really good stuff. I took some notes, and I'll try and include some information. Um, so... Are you just to wrap up? Is there a way that folks can reach out to you via social media? Is that something you're open to, or do you kind of have a public, private? Yeah, I have um, I should, I should know this. This is so embarrassing. So I have an Instagram. Um, it's Christine Alexis underscore. So the underscores at the end. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I think I follow you. So I'll, I'll, when I post the notes, I'll um, and that's probably the best way to reach out to you if people are like i have marketing questions i want to break into marketing you're so awesome christine yeah that'd be cool cool also i'll make sure to share that in the show notes well thank you christine for agreeing to be interviewed and um yeah so have a good rest of your evening i'm gonna stop the recording now so Thanks again for tuning in for episode five. And as always, uh, you can find us on all your social media platforms, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at The Victory Pod. That will keep you in the loop on upcoming episodes and different topics that come up. And share our podcast with your friends and family. If you found it interesting, share it along. If you even don't like it, but you want to tell people how terrible it is, go ahead and share it anyway. Uh, Thanks again. And as I always sign off, Um, every problem has a solution. It's whether we're willing to do the work to find it. Let's do the work and be victorious. Bye-bye.